invite you to turn with me to the book of Galatians. Chapter 1, we'll begin in verse 6 this morning. If you're in the Blue Pew Bible, you can turn to page 972. 972, Galatians chapter 1. Have you ever been severely reprimanded? You know, back when I was in the Navy, we called it receiving a dressing down. It's when someone who is in the right place of authority regarding usually a matter of great importance tries to to turn you back from going down the wrong path. And that's what we're going to hear from the Apostle Paul this morning. He's giving the, the Galatians, those in these churches in the southern region, we talked about it last week, of Galatia. He's giving them a true dressing down. Uh, and I would say, as, as we go through this, this is something that we need to hear as well. Now, it, it was given particularly to deal with something that was going on in these churches uh, and, and we'll talk about that in a, in a little bit, but at the same time, uh, there are he's dealing with those who have departed from the gospel itself, uh, and we are so susceptible to this. And so there, there may be a need for us as individuals. Uh, I hope it's not us as a church, but uh, there may be a need for us to receive this as a as a rebuke or as a dressing down, or it may be need, needed to be received as a as a warning, as a reminder of the importance of the gospel, and that it is what it has been given by the Lord to be, that we see it, understand it, receive it in that way. You know, this passage comes very close to the beginning of the letter, this letter that Paul's writing to these uh, churches. But I want us to notice here that there's something that's missing. This truly is a letter. As you read through it, you, you recognize it right away. You've got the intro that we went through last week in the first five verses, sometimes called the salutation. Then you've got the body of the letter, and if we were to break it down further, there are other parts to the letter. It's a true letter. But if you compare it to Paul's other letters, there's something missing here. Right about the point at which we are entering in today, There's no thanksgiving for the people in these churches. Normally, Paul has a wonderful, uh, it's really a prayer often of of thanksgiving uh, for the people, for what God has done, for what He is doing, for what He will do. That's missing here. And I think there's a reason that it's missing here, because he knew that he had to get, number one, right to the point. Uh, number two, it wouldn't fit with the urgency, the immediacy with which he is coming to them. And so no words of thanksgiving are, are given. Uh, evidently, Paul senses that what he has to say is so important, so urgent, that even time spent giving thanks would be out of place. He's dealing here with a main thing. Somebody's been messing with the gospel. And we need to understand it. Again, uh, I'll read just a few verses. Uh, chapter 1, verse 6 through 9. This is God's Word. 
Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you that we are brought to see the importance of this message, of the gospel message. And so, Father, I I pray that you would take this and open our eyes, open our hearts to see and to know, to understand uh, in in a greater way the importance of this gospel, the importance of it being heard and understood and taken and taught in the right way as you have given it to us. And help us to take this and to apply it to our own hearts to be discerning and to understand where are we with this, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray for your help this morning. In his name, amen. The book Pilgrim's Progress. Have you read it? Do you know it? Now, I'm not going to put it on the same, obviously, on the same level as Scripture, but I will say Pilgrim's Progress. It is important. Some have said that uh, it's the second most sold book behind the Bible. I don't know if that's true, uh, but certainly you can find a, a lot of copies of it. If, you don't, if you're not familiar with it, haven't read it, uh, I think we've got a couple of copies back on the, uh, the cart, the library cart back there. So look as you, as you head out and you can check it out. Uh, wonderful uh, to read. Uh, John Bunyan, 1678, wrote Pilgrim's Progress. He wrote it as an allegory uh, to depict or to show his salvation experience. But of course, biblically through and, and through. And so to, to kind of marry the two, uh, what we have in God's Word and, and his uh, experience. One characteristic of the story all the way through, which features Christian... Uh, who is the man upon whom God is operating and, and uh, his salvation is being worked out. Um, all the way through, though, as he makes his journey, you've got all these other people that want to join in on his journey. They want to go the same place. Uh, but most of them coming in by a different way, another way. You know, all looking for the same destination, and all with a mindset that, you know what, the, the specific path that you take isn't that important. It's that we get on the journey and that we end up there, we reach the destination. But what does Bunyan have to say about that? He says there is only one way. Christian uh, is told to find the narrow gate and then to remain on the straight path. In other words, there's only one way of salvation. But as you go through the story, it can be confusing uh, because Christian often fails. And sometimes he seems to fail miserably. He's, he's been told to stay on this one path, but 
invariably he gets off the one path. Now there's this one example early on with two men who join him. They knew him before in the city of destruction. Obstinate and pliable. Now obstinate, as soon as he hits any suffering, any difficulty, he turns back. He's done. But pliable sticks with him for a while. And he continues on. All the way until... And, and they're going together. They're, they're talking amongst one another from the outside. You might say, well, both of these are on, on their way. They're on this journey together all the way until they meet the slough of despond or the swamp of despond. And as Christian later tells it, Pliable became so discouraged that he would not venture with me any further. Being thus disheartened, he got out of the swamp on the side nearest to his own house and he told me I could possess the heavenly country alone. And Christian said that he himself continued traveling to this narrow gate. Then a man by the name of Goodwill, who came alongside to help Christian out, he said, Alas, poor Pliable, is the celestial glory of so small value to him that he does not count it worth running a hazard of a few difficulties to obtain it? Now, here's Christian's very interesting response. He said, I have stated the truth concerning pliable. But if I would also tell all the truth about myself, it would reveal there is no difference between us. It is true that he went back to his own house. But I had also turned aside into the way of destruction, being persuaded by the worldly arguments of Mr. Worldly Wiseman, which you will know if you, if you write, read the book what that's all about. But the point he's making is that they were going along together. They were on the same path, had the same destination. And then Pliable turned away. But Christians said, even at that point, from the outside, we look the same because I too turned off the, path, off the path and outwardly there was no difference. And, you know, as we turn to this passage this morning, this is the situation that's, that's facing Paul as he looks at those with whom he has shared the truth of the gospel. And they seem to have received the gospel and they seem to have been together on the path, the right path. And so Paul, having received information about them, says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And then he quickly adds, not that there is another one. You know, Paul's point here is the same as John Bunyan's. There is only one way. There is only one gospel. And if you take that one gospel and you add to it, or you change it, or you turn it into anything else, then you're turning away from God and away from this gospel, this gospel of, of free grace. And that's exactly what the Galatians were doing. And so the question that we're left with is, are, are the Galatians, as we hear this, are the Galatians genuine believers or not? Are they going to be like 
pliable so that they're turning away, but they're going to continue turning away onto the wrong past until, path until they are lost. Or are they really like Christian? Christian who hears the admonition and takes it for himself and, and turns back to the right path. Now that's a question that, that Paul doesn't answer for us here. And, and so we don't know where, the, relation, where the, the Galatians stand in relation with the Lord. And he, Paul, doesn't seem to know that either. And so we're left with a tension there, aren't we? But it's a tension that's not just here, right? It's a tension that can be here as well. We face it as we live the Christian life. And I think it's, why, it's the reason that some of these, these dressing down passages of Scripture are so important for us because all of us are capable of falling back and falling away from the right path so that Paul's words could be directed to us. It could be directed to you. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Now the truth is that it's almost certain that there will be some here, congregation this size, some here, who are on that path that turn back, seem to be on the right path, but turn back and continue in that way so that they are like pliable. Those who never truly received the gospel in the first place, never really desired the true bread, the living bread. And there are others, certainly, who, like Christian, will hear the admonition that is here in Scripture and will turn back anytime you've fallen back, will turn back to the right path and will continue on as Christian did, saying, I've tasted Christ. I can't continue in the ways of this world. I, I know who Christ is and I know that He is the living bread and that's the only bread that will satisfy you know, this passage that I read earlier out of John chapter 6, remember right there at the, at the end of that passage, it said this, after this, and it's talking about the, the, the difficulty, the hard saying, after this, many of His disciples, those who are together on the path, those who are headed in the same direction, many of His disciples turned back and no longer walked with Him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And remember, Peter answered on behalf of the twelve. And we can just hear him saying these words, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and we know that you are the Holy One of God. He's saying nothing else will satisfy. We must continue on. So, we've got this difference between the two. Do you, do you see that? And have you ever thought about that for your, yourself? Are, are you, am I, a pliable 
or am I a Christian? There's a big difference between the two, even though they can look the same on the outside, but recognize that in, in reality, there is no comparison between the two. Why? How can we say that? Because there is only one gospel. There is only one way. And so this passage helps us to see and to understand that process of coming to faith so that we can better discern that for ourselves, better see the true gospel, better hear uh, the admonition for ourselves. You know, Paul is speaking here about what, what happened to those for whom the gospel is truly food and drink. Three simple words that I'd like to use in order to, to, to see this process of salvation out of this passage. Number one is calling. Number two is receiving. And number three is responding. Calling, receiving, responding. So calling, you know, when the gospel takes root in a person, this will always be present. Always be present. We referred to it earlier in the service as the effectual call. Why? Why did we refer to it in that way? Why the word effectual? Again, it's because God will never fail. Effectual calling is speaking of that which God does, only God does. And God does not fail. Paul says here, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ. Who called you. Now, Paul's reminding them here, he's saying, think back. There's something very specific that happened to you as I preached. He said, you were called. God placed a call upon your life. You know, a Christian is a person who has experienced this call, this effectual call. Now, I think all of us here know what it means to be called. You know, in our house, the kitchen is about in the middle of the house, and uh, when it comes time for dinner, often we've got people that are scattered in different areas of the house, and usually it's Amy in the kitchen, and she'll call out, dinner! Now, it turns out that that call is not always effectual for everyone that's in the house. The, the guilty will remain nameless, but sometimes it doesn't result in that person coming, or people coming uh, to a meal. And so that is a call, but a call that's not always effectual. That's the call that we might consider or, or call the gospel call or, or the general call it's often given. Think about God's Word being preached. God's Word being preached, let's say you got five people sitting on the front row. This front row is empty, but uh, think five people sitting on the front row and, and the gospel is preached and, and the, the people that are in that row, they all hear the same words. But not all respond to that Word. There, there are those in, in that row among the five that may be nodding their head, maybe in agreement, maybe nodding their head for a different reason, uh, but they hear in their ears, but it's not direct. It doesn't grab hold. 
It doesn't say this is for you. This is personal. This is something that you must hear because it's dealing with your problem, with your life, with your sin, with your need. But imagine that there are a couple of the people that are in that, in that row who, when they hear, they grab the hold of them. When they hear about sin, they recognize it's their sin that is being spoken about. Uh, when, they rec- when they hear about the consequences of sin, they hear, well, this is me. God is a just God. And this is what I deserve, and this is what must happen. You know, places like Romans 3. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. But then they hear, as if it's a message that's crafted for their ears, they hear this. And when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, to, to purchase, to stand in for, to take upon Himself those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And then they hear as if it's just to them that by believing in this name, By looking to Him, by trusting in Him, you will have eternal life. Your sin will be removed from you and you will come together with God. Never before were you able to be together with God, but now you'll be together with God, no longer separated. They'll know that that deals with them, with their burden. This is the effectual call. When the gospel is heard, not just with your ears, but with your heart. And it's a true call that's placed upon you from God by His Word and by His Spirit. And that's why, again, it's always effective. We read about it earlier. It's a call out of that state of sin and death and into grace and salvation by Jesus Christ. Listen to these words. Enlightening your mind spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God so that you go from the point before this didn't really matter. They were just words. Now it's life. This is food. This is what I need. Taking away your heart of stone and giving you a heart of flesh. Renewing your will so that you begin to want the same things that God wants. And by His almighty power, determining you to that which is good and effectually drawing you to Jesus Christ. Again, uh, it's a work of God and of Him alone. Uh, We read out of the passage that we read earlier, John chapter 6, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It's a work of God. You know, this is all the experience of a true Christian. Yet, in one's experience, we have to say it doesn't all always come at once. Uh, it, it, it sometimes will manifest itself in different ways in the experience of a Christian. 
Yet all those elements that I just read about will be there. You know, back to Pilgrim's Progress, if you know the story, earlier in Pilgrim's Progress, right at the beginning, Christian was just like anyone else in this city, going about doing uh, his work with a family, the city of destruction, until he heard from an old book. And he heard something about his condition. And he, he came to begin to feel his burden, his sin. There came to a point at which he couldn't remain silent because his eyes were opened to see the impending destruction that was going to come upon him, come upon his family. Uh, and so he was in distress. But remember, on one occasion, he was walking through fields and he cried out, What must I do to be saved? And there was a man who was there, a man by the name of Evangelist. And this man gave him the good news that there was an escape, that there was a way out. And he pointed him to the wicked gate way off out yonder. And he said, It's a narrow gate. It's a narrow way. But go to the wicked gate and you will find your way that narrow way, that narrow gate, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And this was all a picture of God placing a call upon this man, Christian, so that he could not remain where he was. He couldn't just continue on day after day because his eyes were enlightened to see his condition. And he was distressed by it. And so God drew him to himself and he renewed his will Gave him the, the ability to understand the things of God. So this is the, the, the first thing that's, that's there that a person experiences uh, when they hear the gospel. Now, there, there might be times when that person falls back. But they will never fall away. They've been drawn by God. And that's great assurance, isn't it? When you come to know that this is a calling that's been placed upon you and you can know that God never fails and He will never lose any of those whom He has called in this way. And so Paul reminds them here of Him who called you in the grace of Christ. The calling. Secondly, the receiving. Now again, this is something that's always present in the salvation process. And we can use this word receive, and we do in, in a number of different ways. But here it means to take ownership, to take something that wasn't yours before and, and to, to pull it in, to make it yours, to, to take ownership, to receive. And so here Paul is referring to those who have received the gospel, who have received Christ. Uh, let's notice first, if you look at, look at our passage, what Paul says has happened. Uh, he says in verse 7 that there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now, we mentioned this last week, the false teachers that had, had come amongst those in these churches. And remember, if you were here last week, we, we said that it had only been a short time, maybe a year since Paul had planted these churches. These are new believers, and, and so they're, they're hearing 
from these teachers who are Jews, Christian, quote-unquote, Jews, they're hearing salvation is by faith. Paul said that, salvation by faith. Plus something else. You've got to add to it. There are things that you must do in order to have salvation. And that's what Paul is livid about here. Because the gospel that he had delivered to them was this. Salvation is by faith and faith alone. And that is at the heart of the gospel. So simple that a small child can have it. Salvation is by faith alone. And so Paul is insistent here in driving home the danger of following these these teachers. And what you see come across is, is that Paul loves these Galatians. And so that's why he's bringing this rebuke to them. And, and twice, he, he actually calls down a curse upon anyone who would lead these people astray from seeing and knowing the true gospel. Look at verse 8. He even includes himself in it. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. And then secondly, he repeats it. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you have received, let him be accursed. Notice he's upholding the importance of this gospel that he had preached to them. And he's upholding the importance of this gospel that they had received. You know, what this implies is that action was taken by you, by you the people. Uh, You received this. This is what you did. Yes, you were called. You've been called by the gospel. But it didn't continue to be something just passive for you. That was God. He was doing a work inside of you by His Holy Spirit. But you took ownership of that gospel. You, you, you took it for yourself. You received Christ. Think about if a, if a running back, think about the NFL, a running back is, is running down the field and the football comes to him and he receives the football. What does he do? He takes that football and he, he tucks it in to his arms and he hangs on to it. And he makes sure that it's his and that he doesn't lose it. You may have been asked that question before. Have you received Christ? It's a question about responding by faith. And it really means, have you made Christ your own? Have you received Christ? Have you looked to, followed, trusted in Christ so that He is your Savior and so that He is your Lord? As our catechism Puts it, have you received and rested upon Christ alone for salvation as He has offered to you in the gospel? You know, early in, early in John's gospel, chapter 1, uh, John was describing, John describes there uh, Jesus. And this is what he said about Jesus in verses 11 and 11 through 13. He says, He, Jesus, came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God 
who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So we see here that receiving has to do with faith, and it has to do with a, a relationship that has been consummated, has been acted upon. You know, when, when two parents receive a child, maybe it's an adoption, they receive the child into their family, what do they do? They make that child their own. And there's also a sense, isn't there, when the child begins to say, maybe finally, after a period of time, but mama, dada, and then becomes completely reliant upon his or her parents. The child has received his parents. And so that's what we see here that that Paul is saying uh, to this, this people, it appeared that you received Christ, that you acted upon, that you made Him yours. Come back. Come back. Follow that which is true by faith alone. The people of Galatia had not only been called but they had received Christ. They were dependent upon Him. They knew that He loved them and accepted them. And so these two things, salvation process, called, received, and we can talk about a a response. You know, again, this is always going to be, it's not an optional element. It's always going to be characteristic of that process of of salvation. This is that thing that has a lasting effect. A person is turned this way and turns this way, turns from the world, from their own way, from their sin, and turns to God. And there is a, a lasting effect. There's not this flutter back and forth. Sin continues. But there is this new thing that characterizes the person. Again, we get this uh, out of verse 6 in our passage. Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He's talking about them turning away from Christ. In other words, they had already turned to Christ. He's saying... You've been called out of darkness. And you received Christ. And in doing so, you, you turned away from your old ways and to Christ Himself. You turned to the light. You know, the word that's, that's being used here means to have a, a change of mind in allegiance. You know, before your allegiance was over here, this was the main thing for you. It was the things of this world. It was you, yourself. Matters of, of money, material belongings, of the body, health, of what other people thought about you. These things, this was your main concern. These are the things that kept you up at night. Am I going to get that next whatever it is? That's what drove you to do the things that you did. But Paul says... You've turned to Christ. You've turned, as the author of Hebrews says, to to a new and living way so that 
while those other things are still there and they're still important in your life, uh, we still need those other things, but they're not central. They're not the thing that I am all about. You've turned to God and your primary concern is pleasing Him. Living before Him. Before you lived your your life before other people. Concerned entirely with what they thought and, and with what you could convince them to think. But now, you live before God and your desire is to honor Him in the way that you live your life. There was a change that took place. There are a number of places we can turn to read about this. One of those, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul speaks about the new life, the new life that comes after turning. And he encourages the people to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And of course here, the point that he's making is, is not perfection in these things. Remember, it's a, it's a new allegiance. It's a change of mind, a transfer. I was here and now I'm transferred over to here. I'm walking before the Lord. And so I begin to live my life for different things. You know, the, the, the reason here that Paul can be so exasperated with the Galatians is that this is not just a temporary matter for their lives. In making that turn, it's permanent. The allegiance, the new allegiance is permanent. Now, yes, we can fall back. But we've got to recognize right away, this is the old way. Uh, These are the old things. This involved, and this is what Paul is going to get to so much, this involves slavery in my life, being under the thumb of sin. But the new life, in the new life, there is freedom. I read this uh, last week uh, when we get to chapter 5. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Uh, What a a beautiful thought to place in their minds and in their hearts. A beautiful goal to set before themselves, knowing that that's how I did live. But this is the new way, the new allegiance. Uh, And... And part of the point here is that this is not, uh, turning to Christ is not just something that's an emotional response. It's not just depending upon uh, where I am or where I was at one certain point when I heard the gospel and I, and I happened to be in a, in a certain place at that time and, and there was an environment that uh, surrounded me, maybe the right kind of music, uh, the right uh, other uh, candles, the environment was there, and therefore I came to Christ. No, this is something that is orchestrated by God. It's a calling, a receiving, and a response, a true turning to Christ, a knowing Christ. And so we need that admonition, don't we? Don't turn back. Don't continue on this path. 
You've got it all here. And this is permanent. This is the way of life. This is the bread of life. And so continue in this way and embrace Christ. Look to Christ and follow. This is Paul's admonishment to us. Let's take it to heart. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank You this morning for the truth of Your Word. Uh, We thank You, Lord, that these things that we are talking about this morning, that they're not just in one place in Your Word, but they are the truth that we find throughout, all pointing us one direction, and that is to Christ. I pray that You would help us to see and to know this Gospel more and more, to cherish it, to make it ours, to make sure we see it in the right way. And help us, therefore, Lord, to see and to know those times when we get off on the wrong path, when we're not seeing things in a right way. We pray that you would use these means of grace that you've given us and draw us back so that we continue with you. We pray this in Christ's name.